Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. To the people that he loved, to those who were closest to him, he would reveal, he would perform miracles even then, only to ascend to be at the right hand of the Father, which is where he's at right now. The Bible says that he left saying these parting words, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not true, I would have told you so, but I will come again. That's the beauty of what Jesus has done. It is not over. That story of Jesus, sure, that's an exclamation point when he gets up from the dead and he comes out of that tomb, but the story is not over. And so today, how do we wrap our minds around something so great? This story that God has written, the one that before the time ever began, it says before the foundations of the world, Jesus was slain for you and for me. So so how how do we experience Easter like he wants us to experience Well, I have great news. We had a Friday night service. It was beautiful. We had about 170 people here. It was beautiful. I'm so thankful for those that came. And we talked about what that Friday looked like. And just to kind of recap it, before we get into Matthew 28, Matthew 27 is not such a happy chapter. In fact, we call it Good Friday, which is a little bit weird. You know, it's like, uh, uh, it's one of those things that just doesn't make a lot of sense until you really unpack it and look at what it truly means. So what did that look like, this thing we call Good Friday? Well, Jesus was tried, he was whipped, he was mocked, and he was stripped. Jesus was shamed, he was beaten, he was tortured, and he was crowned. He was crucified, the absolute worst form of capital punishment in the history of mankind. Today, it's a little, much more, uh, it's much more a, a, a cleaner uh, approach to killing someone. We strap them to a chair and give them a lethal injection. That would be much easier, much better, not for Jesus, the worst form of torture and, and death penalty ever known to man. And so what we see is in all of that that has happened to him, we talked about it Friday, he never complains. He says, I'm thirsty. He speaks from the cross and he says, mother, this is your son, this is your mother. He never complains about the crown that has been pressed into his forehead. He, he never complained about the whipping post where he took 39 lashes. And 39 lashes was with a whip that had bone, uh, bone fragments, glass shards, and steel balls. The steel balls would bruise the glass and the, and the, uh, and the stone would tear the flesh away, revealing tendons and muscles and bone. He never complained about that. He never complained about the fact that they had yanked his beard out of his face. He never complained about the beating that he had taken. He never complained about having to carry his cross over his bloody beaten shoulder and march up a hill called Golgotha. He never complained. He never complained about, God, my feet are hurting from this spike that's in my feet. He never complained about his hands having a spike driven through them. He never complained. He never complained about the shame. He never complained about any of that. And then all of a sudden, he speaks from heaven, and he says these words, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's as if he's saying, God, you too? 
Everybody has turned their back on me. Now you too, you see, for three hours, darkness came over the earth. For three hours, God had walked away and turned his back. Because you see, the Bible says that Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin for us. Terrible, terrible, terrible. You see, of all of the pain that he had experienced on Friday, of all of that pain, the worst pain was when he was no longer in the presence of the love of the Father that he had experienced for all of eternity past. Do you get that? The love, the greatest love ever known to man is God's love. Jesus, who is part of God, had been with God in this intimate relationship for all of eternity past. Now for these three hours, he was separated from it, and it hurt him more than any of the crucifixion. So Jesus now breathes his last on his timetable and on his terms. He breathed and released his spirit, and he died. Jesus was dead, so they took his body off of the cross. A rich man, a Joseph of Arimathea, takes his body, and he places him in his own tomb that he has carved out of the stone. And so they take his dead body, they put it there, they roll a big stone over it, and they seal his dead body in the grave. Now, he was dead. Look at your neighbor and say he was dead. Make no mistake about it. Most people never made it off the whipping post, let alone the cross. When they're on the cross, to be sure that they were dead, they would take a club and break their legs to expedite the dying. Because when their legs are broken, they can no longer push themselves up for another breath. But when they got to Jesus, because prophecy said no bones would be broken, he was already dead. So to be sure, they took a spear and they thrust it in his side. The Bible says that blood and water poured out. It's a thing called plural effusion, where when you are close to dying, all of your, your vital organs, your heart begins to, everything rushes to it, blood and water to protect your final dying organ. And so when they shoved that spear through his rib, rib cage and through his lung into the sack around the heart, blood and water poured out. He was dead. They took his body, they put him in a grave, and there he would lay. And that is Friday. Not so good for Jesus, but, but without a good Friday like that, we don't have a great Sunday like this. Because you see what happened, the enemy threw a party. Satan himself rejoiced because they had won the victory over this God-man named Jesus. They, he, they were, had championed a victory in conquering God on the cross. And all of his demons rejoiced, and they thought they had won. But you see, that it wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't the end of the story yet because he laid there in that tomb, but it's only Friday. And then the second day comes, and the second day is Saturday. And Saturday is the Jewish, is the Jewish Shabbat, the Sabbath. It's not the Sabbath, it's not Sunday, it was Saturday. And so it's a day of rest. So Jesus stays in the tomb, and he stays there all day. Now, that's the end of the second day. Well, there's a third day that happens, and on the third day, something really cool happens, all right? And we move from chapter 27 of Matthew, and we roll, we slide, we cruise into Matthew chapter 28. Now, Matthew chapter 28 begins like this, and I'm going to read a part of it if you want to join me. It says, now after the Sabbath, Saturday, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And suddenly there was a severe earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were like white as snow. And the guards were shaken, and they became like dead men, because they were so afraid of him. 
But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, and he is not here, for he has been raised just as he said. Come and see the place where he is lying. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has been raised from the dead. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I've told you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. But Jesus met them saying, greetings. And they came to him, they held on to his feet, and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not, uh, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me there. And while they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest everything that had happened. After they had assembled with the elders and formed a plan, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you are to say his disciples came at night and stole his body while we were asleep. Let's pray. God, thank you for this amazing chapter in your eternal, infallible word. God, we thank you that in this chapter, we can find all of the hope that we will ever need to go through the darkest day we ever experience because we can know on the other side, there is a resurrection waiting. On the other side, the best is yet to come. And God, we thank you for this chapter. God, I ask you set me aside. I ask that no one here sees me or hears me, God, but you speak to our heart. If I say anything, God, that you don't want them to hear, I ask that you would strike it from the record and only allow them to keep what comes from you. Move our hearts today that we can celebrate with enthusiasm what a great thing you've done when you rose from the dead on that third day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Easter is about... That's what this message today is called, Easter is about, on the back of your worship guide. We've got to fill in the blank if you're a note taker to help you remember what Easter is all about. Because it's about something more significant than often we give Easter credit for being about. So look at your neighbor and say, what's it all about? Now look at, you, just look, look at your neighbor and say, the preacher's going to tell us. All right, here we go. He says the first thing on the worship guide, Easter is about the old made new. The old made new, okay? Now, some of us are getting older, and we like to be made new, right? I mean, I'm 55 by number, but I'm about 85 by physical condition, okay? I got artificial hip. I've had, got screws in my knees. I've had back surgery. I got one of those meshes in a hernia that every time I turn on the television, they say, you may be in trouble if you've had this procedure. Anybody had a procedure? Then you turn on the television. I hope you didn't get this, okay? Then you're watching, okay? So I've had all this stuff, okay? But listen, 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 listen. The Bible says right here that in the darkest moment in time, that in the darkest moment in all of eternity, when God in the flesh, Jesus in incarnate when he is dead in the tomb it's not over yet and when this and when this happens when, when when this happens when it gets dark in your world when you find yourself in this spot where you don't understand and you really don't like what you're experiencing and, and you begin to cry out God uh, where are you in this because I don't really feel all the love I, I, I've professed and claimed my faith in Jesus I consider my, myself an adopted child of the most high God but right now in this moment, I am not feeling the love, right? That's where they were. And then something happens. It says in verse 1, now at the dawn of the first day, tell your neighbor yesterday is history. Tell them. Now tell your neighbor this is a brand new day. 
Isn't that good news? We need a new day. We need the old to be made new. I need a new day every now and then. I need a brand new day, and that is what happens. On your darkest day, in your darkest moment, in the hardest time, I want you to know that God stands on the other side of the darkness. This is so good. I've never said this. In your darkest moment, God stands on the other side of the darkness with his hand extended and says, take my hand. I'm going to lead you into the light, and he will bring you out of that. And I don't claim to know what that always looks like sometimes. He takes us, when he leads us into the light, he takes us home. But our ultimate healing always comes on the other side. But he is always standing on the other side of the darkness with his hand extended saying, put your hand in mine and I will lead you to a brighter place. Because that is the way God is. Now listen what happens in this. What what are these ladies doing, Mary and Mary? Mary and Mary, quite contrary. All right, what are they doing? All right, what they're doing is they're responding to what happened two days ago. In other words, their day today is a response to what happened two days ago. Often in our lives, we live our days tomorrow based on what happened a couple days ago. You see, we have an expectation of tomorrow based on what happened a couple days ago. Mary and Mary are going to anoint Jesus' body with spices. Because their expectation is that Jesus is still in the tomb and his body is beginning to decay. So they take about 100 pounds of spice and they're going to go prepare his body now. All right? I want to tell you something. Don't always live tomorrow based on what happened two days ago. Because it's a brand new day. And God is always writing a new story. And and sometimes the darkest day is only the end of a bad chapter. And God is on the threshold, if you will let him, of writing a brand new chapter about a brand new day in your life. So Easter is about the old made new. Number two, Easter is about a resurrected view. You see, sometimes we, the lens we look through determines how we live our life. Sometimes we get false information or partial information or distorted information, or maybe we take good information, run it through um, the, the eyes of the world, and it comes out on the other side a little distorted. Sometimes we need a fresh view. Sometimes we need a resurrected, a new, alive view. Listen to what he says in verses 2 through 6. Now Mary and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And suddenly there was a severe earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled the stone away and sat on it, and his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were like snow, and guards were shaken, and they became like dead men because they were so afraid. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. Don't you think that's kind of funny? I just love this part of it. Okay, so they show up at the tomb. They're going to take care of some spicy business, you know, no big deal. But everything changes, all right? When they show up, the Bible says that an angel descended from heaven. Now, I want to give you a warning. I want to give you, I want to tell you probably what is not going to happen. Probably what's not going to happen is on your darkest day, when Jesus is there on the other, other side with his hand extended, inviting you into the light, he's probably not going to send you an angel, okay? So don't leave today. I've got a dark day. I'm looking for an angel. Probably not going to happen, okay? But here's what happens. When this angel shows up, it says he looked like lightning, Okay, the Bible says he rolled the stone away. The Greek word there is not that he rolled it away. He picked it up and cast it away. Okay, now he's done this crazy thing, and the guards, the trained Roman guards, are passed out on the ground like dead men because they're so afraid. And the Bible says, I never noticed this before, the angel is sitting on a stone. Hey, what's up, ladies? 
Glad y'all came, take care of Jesus, but he ain't here. Okay, he's just like so casual. He just ripped the stone away from the tomb, okay? He just experienced the resurrected Jesus, the one, the one that he has been worshiping in heaven forever, okay? And now the guards are laid out, and he has this lightning appearance, and his word to the women is this, hey, don't be afraid. I mean, what have they got to be afraid of? Dead men laying on the ground, tomb's empty, angel looks like lightning. Okay, no big deal. Earthquake, that's a good one, but don't be afraid. That is such good news. Now, here's, here's their message. Here's his message. He said, um, but the angel said, don't be afraid. I know that you're here looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. In fact, he's been raised. He said he was going to, and he did it. But I want you to come and see the place where he was lying. Now, here's the point in this. We need a resurrected view. Because sometimes what we do is our vision is clouded, and we start looking for the right thing, and we're looking in the wrong place. And so when we find ourselves in the wrong place looking for the right thing, we find the wrong thing to take the place of the right thing. Yeah, I said that right. Let me explain what I mean. The world is full of people looking to fill this vacuum or this void that is like deep within their soul, okay? And that vacuum or that void within every human being was placed there at the beginning of this world that we know. When Adam and Eve fell, they fell far and they fell hard. And left deep inside of them was this void, something missing. And that void can only be filled by God. So what we do sometimes is we look in the wrong place for the right thing, and we end up filling the void with the wrong thing. And so what we do is we say, okay, I, I got this thing missing inside of me. I just don't feel good. I don't, I don't feel like I know God. I, I go through this life, and I just don't have this peace or this hope that some people claim that they have, and I just don't get it. So what we do is we start trying to medicate the whole. What we start trying to do is patch the hole. And so we say, okay, I've got this hole. I'm going to try a relationship because I think if I had the good relationship with, you know, with, a, with a, a wife or a husband, and I think it would fill that void. And then it doesn't. And so then this one goes away and we try another relationship. And it doesn't seem to fix the void. It may, it may uh, uh, pacify it for a little bit, but it doesn't totally heal it. And so then what we do is we say, well, maybe I can find it in, uh, in alcohol. You know, so I'll, I'll start drinking, and all of a sudden, I feel a little better about myself. So I found this thing, and then all of a sudden, we're captivated and taken hostage by alcohol. Or maybe we take medication, uh, prescription medication that's not ours. We take a pill, and all of a sudden, it kind of soothes and softens the blow that we feel inside. This, this, this void, this vacuum inside has like a Band-Aid over it, and it doesn't hurt quite as bad. Or maybe we find ourselves on the Internet and we, we're viewing pornography. Or, or maybe it's, as a young person, if I can just make all A's in school or, or if I can just be on this team or that team or if I can have this circle of friends, then all of a sudden this void, this vacuum inside of me will be filled. But there's a problem. None of that will, will ever fill it. It will mask over it, but the void still remains. You see what happened right here? They came to the right place and they were looking for the right thing. But he wasn't there because they were looking in the wrong place for the right thing. Now, what, what, what happens is what that looks like today is we're here on Easter Sunday, 2018, April 1st. And I don't know why you came. I honestly don't know why you came today. You may have just come because you think, you know what, the music over there is a good, good music. I'm going for the music. 
Maybe you came because you know the preacher does okay sometimes and he's got some cool shoes and I'm going to see his shoes. People cracking on my shoes. Don't be cracking on the preacher's shoes. Okay? All right? Maybe, maybe you came today because it's Easter Sunday and you're a CEO Christian, you know, Christmas, Easter only, and you, you got your Christmas box, you know, you check that one and now it's Easter. I got to check that one. Then I'm good with God forever, okay? Or maybe you came today because your, your wife made you. Maybe you came today because your husband made you. Maybe you came today because you got kids and it's a good thing for the kids to be in church on Easter. The list is long. And man, I just shotgun fired it. And some of y'all say, how do you know why I can? Okay? I don't know. I'm just throwing these out here. Now, I like this one. We have a young couple that comes to the, our church here, and, and they have a whole bunch of little girls. And uh, they take their little girls to Mother's Day out at our Clinton campus, okay, during the week, and they come to church here on Sunday. Well, last Sunday morning, they were getting her ready for church, and she was a little confused. This is what she said. Mama, today, are we going to my school church or to my God church? And she said, we're going to God church. They told me that story. I said, I am so proud to be a part of the God church, not the school church. I mean, we want to be the God church, not the school church. I mean, if, it has, if it's a God church that has a school, that's okay. But, I, man, I'm like, yeah, God church, that's us, all right? Isn't that cool? Now, here it is. I don't know why you came, but I want you to know this. Through the eyes of a baby, this is God church. What that means is when we sing, we were singing to God. We weren't singing to entertain. It means when I open up this Bible, when I preach, I'm not preaching. I'm preaching uh, Jesus and I'm pre I want you to know, I want you to know that you came here today thinking you came here to check a box, whatever that box looked like, but the truth is there is a sovereign forever God. And before time ever began, he knew you. He knew your DNA strand. He knew what you were going to look like. He knew every good deed you would ever do. He knew every bad deed you would ever do. He knew every thought you would ever have. He knew every word you would ever say. He, he knew it because he's God. And don't ask me to ex explain that to you because he's God and I'm not and you're not. But in his godness, he looked at you. And on this day, April 1st, 2018, Easter celebration at the church at Sturkey Hills. And he ordained for you to be here. I just think that's kind of cool. Because he ordained for me to be here. And that's extremely cool. I love being here. All right? Now, now, you came for whatever reason. And you might have come to the right place. But you were looking for the wrong thing. I want you to know that God wants to meet you here. I want you to know that God does not want you to leave untouched and unchanged. Because he's a God that just comes in and touches you, changes you, moves you. He wants, you take, wants to take you to a new place, to a new destiny, to a new level of experience with him. He's not content leaving you where you are. He's not content. We may be content, but he's not content leaving us where we are. And so, so just like Mary and Mary, we've come looking, okay? And what we need today is this fresh, resurrected view, the fact that God in the flesh, Jesus, the Savior of the world, is risen and he is not in the tomb. Number three, Easter is about a work for us to do. Now, let me just go ahead and qualify and clarify. You may be thinking, oh, it's not about working for salvation. The Bible says it's not of works lest any man should boast, okay? Meaning this, 
I can't work for my salvation. I want you to know today the world is full of this idea that you can work for salvation, but you can't. Salvation is grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. That's it. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. can't be good enough. You've tried that. You messed it all up. So did you, preacher. Okay? We've messed that up. So it's not about working for salvation. But if you're here today and you have had an experience with Jesus where you made him the Lord and the Savior of your life, you have work to do. Listen to what he says when they get this resurrected view. It says then in verse 7, he says, so then now that you have this view, you've seen he's not here, here's your job. Go quickly and tell his disciples uh, that he has been raised from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I've told you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear, great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. So now hold on. They came to anoint a dead body, and he wasn't there. So they moved from this place of grieving because they had lost the, the most amazing individual they had ever known, and they wanted to believe he was God, but he died. And then all of a sudden, he's not in the tomb anymore, and the angel says, see, now you got a job. I want you to know something. You and I, believers in Jesus, we have a job to do, and that is to share the gospel with the world. And what we do often is we don't say a word about it. Weeks, months, years go by. We never share Jesus with anyone. We're afraid to tell our mom, afraid to tell our dad, afraid to tell our spouse, afraid to tell our children because they're teenagers and I'm going to freak them out because they're freaked out, you know, or they're going to freak me out, you know, or I'm not going to tell the people at work that I work with. I'm going to tell my boss. I'm not going to tell the, the, the girl that waits on me down at the restaurant. I'm not going to tell anybody. Why? Because it's uncomfortable and it's weird and I don't get it. And I'm, I'm, I'm scared and I'm apprehensive, so I don't do anything. And the very first people who had an experience with the resurrected Jesus, the instruction from heaven through the angels is, is this, go now quickly. There's urgency. Why is there urgency in sharing this message of hope and life in Jesus? Why does God seem to have an urgency about it that he wants us to embrace? Let me give you a story. Your preacher's had a hard time, man. I've lost some good, good friends in the last several months, seriously, more than ever in my life. And uh, it, it's disappointing, and it's hurtful, and, and, and it's dark, and you don't understand why, the, why it happens like it does. Let me tell you one that happened this week. It happens all the time now. This week, uh, I have a friend of mine. His name is Byron Robbins. He had a heating and air company, and he did all of our heating and air when we built, and, and uh, he did work here in the church. He worked on our unit, put us a gas stove in, and he's 52 years old. And he had had a battle with cancer a couple of years ago, and God, God gave him a season of healing. And then last week, I was with him because he was going to put heat and air in my house that we're building, and everything's good. And he, I said, you doing good? He said, yeah. He says, I, I, gotta, I pulled my back. This is last week. I pulled my back, and I, I need to go get something checked out. I don't know what's going on. So Monday, he went in the hospital Sunday, and they let him out, went back Monday. I went to visit him on Tuesday, 5.08 on Wednesday. He went home to be with the Lord. Hmm. I've never in my life known somebody one week who seems to be doing fine, and cancer take them away in three days. I've never, I've never, I've never known something like that. I've known people who died of cancer. 
I've known people who died immediately from a traffic accident or, or a, a heart attack. I've known that, experienced that. I've never seen anything like this. Now, why do I tell you that? We got work to do. Listen to this. Every time we were together, every time, we would talk about church. He loved Jesus. He loved the church. He loved me. He loved, he loved the kingdom. He loved God. We would talk about church. We'd talk about God. We'd talk about Jesus every time because it was in his heart and it was in my heart. And if it's in your heart, it don't take much to get it to come out. That's the way it works and that's the way it was. And, and all of those men, all of those people that the Lord has taken out of my life in the last, last several months, that's their story. They knew Jesus, man. And they knew the resurrection power that was delivered to this earth on Easter Sunday so many years ago. So how do you handle that? When it's somebody you care for, here's how you handle it. Death is not the end for a believer. Death is the threshold into what life really looks like. You see, in this world, we pray real hard for people to be healed. I often say it this way. If we prayed as hard for people to get to heaven as we do for people to stay here out of heaven, we live in a different world. We ought to be having urgency about sharing this truth. And if you're here today and you don't know this truth as real in your life, if you're not a child of God adopted in the shed blood of Jesus, his son, there is an urgency that I'm sharing this with you today because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know if we'll be here tomorrow. We don't know if Jesus might return tonight or tomorrow. We don't know. That's why there should be a sense of urgency in the work that we do. Paul said it this way. Paul hated Jesus because Jesus came against his religious system. All right? I mean, he was a zealot, a Jewish zealot. He had it all figured out. He was very educated, spoke multiple languages. He had it. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and flips the thing upside down. And he understood Jesus is discrediting everything I've ever said. He went against the church. He persecuted the church. He murdered people. And then one day, he met Jesus, had a personal encounter with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And all of a sudden, everything changed. And Paul would say it this way. He would say, if you want to kill me for changing my position, religious system, if you want to kill me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He said, you want to kill me? Kill me. I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. You want to kill me? Kill me. You kill me? I go be with Jesus. It's win-win. And then he would say this, I have become all things now to all people so that by all means I might save somebody. Now he understood he couldn't save them, but he could take them to the one who could. You see, Paul understood this. I'm going to do. Every, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to have a sense of urgency about my calling, my commission, and my command. And I'm going to take this message of a resurrected Jesus to a lost and dying world and offer them hope and life. And I'm going to do everything it takes. I'll become all things to all people, so that all means by all means somebody might be rescued from the grips of hell. That's, that's why I preach. And I don't preach it because I'm a preacher. I preach it because it's in me. I preach it because I know it. I preach it because the Spirit of God has planted it deep in my soul. And when it happens that way, it just kind of comes out. 
And so when I would get with Byron, it'd just kind of come out. We'd start talking about it. Next thing you know, it'd just come out. And those other people that the Lord has taken home, no exception. That's why I have hope. I could give you a list of, of men of God that God has taken home from my life and from this church's life in the last couple of years. And they were men of God. That when we would talk, it didn't take long. We talk about Jesus because it's real, because it's alive, because it's liberating. And so we have a job to do. And so Easter is about an old made new. Easter is about a resurrected view. Easter is about a work for us to do. Number four, Easter is about Jesus loving you. Ha. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus loves you. That was so unconvincing, all right? Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes you're hard to love. Why was that so much more convincing? Why did you believe that so much more? You believe so much more that your neighbor's hard to love than the fact that Jesus loves them. I don't get that, okay? So we're going to try it again. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, Jesus loves you. Some of y'all got that. I'm not going to tell you to say the other one with more energy because you don't need help in that department, all right? But the truth is this, we're all hard to love. I know me, I know a lot of you, a lot of you know me, okay, sometimes we're hard to love, all right? I'm married, my wife is married to me, and I'm hard to love, I'll leave it at that, all right? Now listen, we don't love each other sometimes, and we're human, and we're all full of mistakes. We're all full of mistakes, we're broken, and it's hard for us to love each other. Now I want you to be mindful, there's a God who is absolutely holy, righteous, perfect, and unapproachable. And that God chooses to love you in your unlovable self on your absolute worst day just as much as he does on your best day. Jesus loving you. We teach our children songs, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. We, we teach songs about it. But sometimes we, we go through life and we never really grasp, man. We never just dig our fingers and our arms and our life into the reality that God, who created and sustains everything, wrapped himself in humanity and came to this earth on a mission to rescue the likes of me. The more I think about that, the more I get excited about it. I mean, the more I think about God choosing to love this, the more I get excited. And you should be the same way. You should be amazed that God loves you. And you shouldn't have to have your spouse to remind you how hard you are to love sometimes. So here's what he says in Scripture. Now, he's told them. Now, you go, to, you go, you go tell them. Angel says, you go tell them. Okay, quickly. Urgency. We go to verse 9. But Jesus then met them, and he said, Greetings. They came to him, and they held on to his feet, and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and my brothers, uh, go and tell my brothers uh, to go to Galilee, and they will see me there. Now, this is what's so cool about it. They were simply obedient to the call to be urgent in going to tell. That's all. All they haven't told anybody. They haven't done anything. All they've done is they left, and they're excited, and they're going to go tell. I want to tell you something. Those of you that are afraid to tell somebody about Jesus, listen to me. He won't do the work for you 
But if you'll make a step toward that person that he's placed in your heart, a concern for their forever soul, if you'll make a step in that direction, you know what he does? He will meet you there. He'll meet you there. You take a step, hi, hey, here I am, greetings. All right, let's do this thing. That's what he does. I remember when Kendra and I got married, and he put us in this really cool church in Chattanooga. And I hadn't visited because if I visited, I wouldn't know what to say. I'd been Christian at that point for about 15 years. I didn't know, serious, I didn't know the difference between Moses and Noah. You know, I couldn't understand why Moses built the big boat, you know. And why Noah, I mean, um, uh, yeah, why Noah wrote the Old Testament, I, I, I didn't get it. You know, I, just didn't, I, I was raised in church. I was a Christian, but I was just ignorant, okay. I was wired different. I, did, I did, couldn't learn well. I didn't get it, okay. And so we joined this big church, and they said, hey, everybody, won't you be a part of visitation? And, and, and when we got in that church, the Holy Spirit grabbed my heart and says, hey, it's time for a new level of your journey. That old one stinks. Let's get real. And so he took us on a journey. And I remember going to visitation, and, and I was mortified. Now, I don't care to talk, but I was like you. I just didn't want to talk about Jesus or talk about anything else. And I'd go knock on the door, you know, and you'd hear everything in the world. You know, this, I love this one. They'd not come to the door. Hey, my name's Joel. We'd had partners. This is Bill. We're from Central Baptist Church, and, uh, and we were just in the neighborhood inviting people to church. I go to church. I said, oh, where you go to church? Hey, Martha, what's the name of that church? That's, what you, that's the kind of stuff you get. You know, a little girl fill out a card. We'd go visit. My daughter didn't come to your church. Well, she filled a card out. She didn't fill that card out. Somebody else filled that card out. You know, we go, to, we go to another church. Where you go to church? Oh, we go here at Red Bank. Oh, really? Didn't y'all just change preachers? He didn't know. Yeah, what's, his, what's the new guy's name? I, I, I don't know. I, I can't remember right now. You know, they ain't go to church. That's the stuff you hear. But then you share the gospel, and, you, and they say, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And then one day, Jesus shows up, meets you there, and something different happens. And you've been rejected for time after time. You share the gospel, and you say, is that something you think you would like to do, is receive Christ into your life? Big tears roll down their face. It is. And then the husband's sitting there, me too. And you're so surprised. You would? I mean, you've been rejected for so long, you know. And all of a sudden, Jesus meets you there because you're simply being obedient to the call, the urgency of the call. And the whole time, your whole message is one simple truth. Listen, this is chock full of stuff you'll never know. This is chock full of stuff I'll never know. It's chock full of stuff that one day in heaven we'll be exposed to much more of it. Probably never have all the answers. But from Genesis to Revelation, this is a love letter written to you. And these are the words, I love you. That's what we're called to do. That's what this resurrection is all about. It's about taking the, we, oh yeah, I love Resurrection Sunday. I love Easter Sunday. Well, if we love Easter Sunday, we need to be telling somebody about why we celebrate this wonderful day. Number five, Easter is about choosing what is true. Choosing what is true. You see today, there's people in here in this room who don't know Jesus as your Savior you may, have, you may have said a prayer or you may have been to church a lot or you may have given money or you may have done some deeds. You may have this form of religion, but you don't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. And, and so what happens is you find yourself by the sovereign design of God 
in a place like this where some guy presents the gospel and he tells you about the love of God, that Jesus came to this earth with a mission, a rescue mission to save you from yourself and to, to pay for your sins. And, and you hear it, but then there's something that steals the truth away. The enemy begins to snatch away the truth. It's like the parable of the, of the seeds sown on different soils. And before it germinates, before it develops into a salvation, the enemy comes and snatches it away. Even in this very first resurrection Sunday, as soon as all of the glory of Jesus is beginning to unfurl, verse 11 says, while they were going, talking about Mary and Mary, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest everything that had happened. And they had assembled with the elders and they formed a plan. And so they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, This is what you're to say. His disciples came at night and stole the body while we were asleep. Even in the first resurrection Sunday, the enemy is trying to steal the truth. And so point number five is to we've got to choose. Easter's about choosing what is true. I want you to know something. The devil is a liar. The Bible says when he speaks, he speaks his native language, and his language is lie. That's what the Bible says. He is the deceiver and the father of, lie, of lies. And so it's Easter Sunday, and we're here. And Easter is about these things, the old made new and a resurrected view and a work for us to do, and Jesus loving you and believing what is true. And so I want to close with this because this paints a picture of what Jesus has done. And this paints a picture of what how often we respond. A few weeks ago, Kendra and I were out to dinner. We were, uh, I think it was Aubrey's, and uh, we ate our dinner, enjoyed it, had a good time, and it came time to pay the check, and, and our a waitress wasn't bringing a check. I called her over there and I said, hey, we got to go. We're ready for the check. She said, well, there's people over here who, who have paid your debt for you. I said, oh, really? And they said, yeah. I said, where are they at? She said, well, they're sitting right over there at that table. I said, thank you. So I got up and I walked over there and I said, did you pay my debt? Did you pay for my meal? And they said, yeah. And I said, no, no, no. We pay our own bills. We pay for our own meals. We pay our own bills. Let me have that check back because I'm going to pay my own debt. You really believe I said that? I didn't say that. You wouldn't either. Tell the truth, we're in church. You wouldn't say it either. No, no. You'd be like, well, thank you. you me, Kendra, and I looked at it. That's so sweet. What a blessing. I was like, who is it? I went over there. Y'all didn't have to buy my meal, but thank you that you did. You know, I was so excited, man. Somebody paid my debt. And I would have been a fool to go over there and rob the blessing of someone paying my debt. But here's what we do. There's a God who came to this earth, and his name was Jesus. And he got on that cross, and he paid your debt and my debt and the debt of all of the sins of the world. And he allowed his father to turn his back while he became sin on our behalf. And he paid every past sin since the inception of time, since Adam and Eve fell, until Jesus returns and it's all over. He took 
all of it on his shoulders, on his being. He took it all and he paid the debt and he says, it is finished. And when I was a 10-year-old boy, I didn't understand theology. I didn't understand godness. I didn't understand humanity. I didn't understand much of anything. But on one night in revival, I sat there and in that moment, God whispered my name in the depths of my soul. And he said, Joel, I love you, my child. And I have paid your debt. And I want you to come into my family called the kingdom. And I'll take away all your stuff. I'll take you with all your mess. I'll take you with your mental stuff going on where you can't learn and you can't pay attention. I'm going to take you all just like you are because I made you like that because you're special. And Jesus came and he died for you. And if you'll allow him to come into your life, I'll call you mine forever. And this ignorant 10-year-old boy on the last night of revival walked down to the front. I told the preacher, I don't understand much, but I think God wants me to be in his kingdom. I want Jesus to come into my life. Now, let me tell you something. On that night, the Lord God took up residence in my life. And I have been so messed up so many times since I was 10 years old. But you know what? He never turned his back on me. Because on that Good Friday, he turned his back on Jesus instead. And I'm telling you today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I don't, there's nothing I could tell you more important than this. We don't know how long God gives us. But God loves you right where you are. But he loves you way too much to leave you there. He's inviting you to come and join him. He's done all the work on the cross. He's proved that he is God when he rose from the dead. And today, on this Easter Sunday, 2018, there's some in here who God is calling your name in the depth of your soul and saying, hey, how about taking a walk with me for all of eternity? And I'll give you life like you have never seen. And all that other stuff you've been trying to fit in that hole will never feel what I'm about to give you.